0: When I have my collapses, so to speak, mm-hmm. I will discuss them on social media. Yeah. Because I want people to understand that just because I look the way that I do, this is, it's not the summation of those instances. It's the summation of the habits around those specific collapses. Like my behavior 95% of the time is in accordance with what I want to look and feel like. And then outside of those. 5%, like, I'll give myself that leniency, but it's also because I've spent 25 years paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. The issue I think I take with a lot of people that are entering into this place or starting to focus on these things later on in life is they haven't put the reps in the way that I have or no. you have for 20 years. Like They may have been really in good shape in their 20s and then they got married and had kids and all that went out the window for 20 years. And now they're coming back to it, but their expectations are 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 that <laughs> when
1: of the, when you were 22. Right, and
0: yeah. that's just in no other facet of our life do we think that uh, illogically so or unreasonably. It's only when it comes to our body image, to our shape, to our size, because that's what, especially in the female community, that's what you're equating your value to. Let's link up with Krista on the fix. She's a wellness coach with a focus on mental well-being and physical strength.
1: What's going on, fix listeners? Welcome back to our latest episode of The Fix Podcast. Coming in strong for the new year with our second episode of 2024, a true powerhouse of a guest. Such a powerhouse of a guest, in fact, that he is my only repeat guest on this podcast in the last three years. And you know if they're repeating, then they are about to share some good-ass information when it comes to fitness, when it comes to nutrition, so good that you need to hear it twice. And that is my own nutrition coach, amazing peer, somebody I look up into this space as just a wealth of knowledge, You may know him on Instagram as four weeks to the beach, but he does have a name. And that is in fact, Aram Gregorian, Aram and I have had the pleasure of knowing each other over the course of the last like three ish years. I want to say maybe almost four. And I've been working with him as a client for about a year. And I said, I happened to be visiting San Diego. He lives out there. I was like, dude, let's get back on the podcast because you are just really skilled. And you'll hear us actually talk about this inside of the conversation, about taking topics that can sometimes be complex, taken out of context, just blown up on social media in the wrong way, removing some of the emotion around those topics and getting right into the objectivity. That's one of the things that I love about working with Aram as a client. He's really allowed me to take a step back, zoom out, challenge some of my not really opinions, but challenge some of my. Pain points of where I myself, even with the knowledge that I have, even with the ability for me to say, I know what I need to do, just pushes me to the next level to dig deeper as to why I'm not doing it, but then not judging myself for that. Just being honest about, okay, here's the inputs. Here are the behaviors that are required for you to get to the outcome that you desire. Now let's get to the root of why that is, or in this case, maybe isn't happening. In this episode, we cover a lot of ground. This is one of those conversations where if you want to improve your nutrition in 2024, if you want to really learn discipline, if you want to show up better for yourself when it comes to the kitchen, when it comes to the gym, you should be taking notes because I promise there is nugget after nugget inside of this conversation. And when Aram listens to this, he's gonna blush and say, I'm humble because he is. But I also wanna give him a plug. Because you'll hear at the very end of this podcast, we talk about an event that he's hosting in just about two months. If you're listening to this, the day this episode airs, and that is the real coaches summit for any of my coaches out there who are listening to this, or if you're just somebody who wants to learn more about fitness and nutrition, and you like some of the content you're hearing here, go check out this event. I am linking the registration page in the show notes. It's in Vegas and it is going to be a fun time. I'll be there. So obviously it'll be a fun time. But I'm just so excited to be able to welcome Aram once again to the Fix podcast because there is always something new to be learned from him, always a perspective to be challenged, and just one of those people who kind of makes you sit back and go, never thought about it like that, but you got a point. So I'm sure you're going to catch yourself saying that a few times as you tune in and listen to the rest of this conversation. So with that, I'm going to stop talking we're going to kick it over to Aram. We are going to talk about eating out, talk about our emotional relationship with food, talk about how to push ourselves more effectively in the gym, talk about how to really show up and change your identity so that you see yourself as a truly healthy individual from the inside out. Here we go. Aram, welcome back to The Fix Podcast. No pressure for round two, but we've been talking about this for a while. Excited to have the chance to do this with you in person. The first time we recorded back in 2021, it was July, which is crazy. I think we both have like grown a lot since then. And I think it'll be interesting to just kind of revisit some of the topics that we discussed. I checked the title so that I could jog my memory. And it was diets don't work unless you do.
0: Oh, yeah. And I love it.
1: And I think it's very aptly named. And I don't think either one of us will waver on that point that we made. But I think it'll be cool. Like we kind of talked about and just planning this conversation and trying to maybe approach it from a different angle, me being very transparent about my own experience with nutrition, with fitness, and all of the things that you've been able to help me learn about myself over the course of the past year, which is fantastic, and you know I love you for that. So we're gonna share all that with the Fix listeners. But before we get into all the nitty gritty, like I usually ask my guests when we kick things off, and I'll go back and see if you have a different answer, but what is your go-to coffee order? What do you like to sip on in the morning?
0: morning uh well i make coffee at home now so i'm i just either buy whatever creme brulee (laughs) pumpkin spicy thing that's on the shelf i'll make 12 cup pots of it and then i will put it in the fridge and then if it's you know california it's chilly in the morning so you can do hot coffee in the morning and Mm -hmm. then in the afternoon i'll usually limit myself to like two cups a day
1: okay
0: um so I'm doing... But then I buy some Funky Creamer. All right. It's always sugar-free coffee, nice. mate. And it's either going to be, like, the chocolate, whatever it is, or the French vanilla, or the pumpkin spice. Yeah, I have I have the most ridiculous coffee. I don't go out for... I'll go out for coffee on the weekends. Okay. Maybe if I'm walking the dog, I'll get yeah. a cup. But to me, it's one of those spends. Like, I don't mind spending the, the six bucks on it. But, like... It, it the, doesn't they,
1: need to be every day.
0: I can't control what they put into it. Mm-hmm. And this ties into what we talk about like I want to control my nutritional environment to the best of my ability so Mm -hmm. for me like I'm going to look at the place or know the place I'm going to because I want to make sure they have sugar-free syrup options I want to make sure they have oat milk and almond milk so if they don't have that stuff I'm not going there yeah or what I've done before is I'll bring my own cream
1: smart and then you get to have it how you want have you had any of the shabani coffee creamers do you like those?
0: I have but they don't come sugar-free
1: I know they only have, like, you do have to factor in, let's speak about our macros. You do have to factor in your macros for those. And I use a tip that you gave me like maybe five years ago. I don't even know if you were my coach at the time, but I attribute this to you because I recall that you were the person who taught me it. We were talking about, I think like maybe back and forth in the DMs. And I was saying to you, you know, I want to find more consistency in tracking my coffee creamers because I do know that they have a little bit of fat, but mostly carbohydrates if you're not using the sugar-free ones. And yes, I could weigh it all the time, but you gave me a trick so that I didn't have to weigh it every day to be relatively consistent. It's not a perfect science, but you were like, I think you know what I'm gonna say count how many seconds you typically pour and then kind of use that as your barometer. I love it. And I tell clients that all the time. So thank you for helping me transfer that knowledge. I
0: think it still works. Yeah. I think it's still applicable. Um, I don't, I mean, I'm home all day. Yeah. Like so I there's
1: won't. no reason to, to do that. Like if you're out, it's a good, good little trick. I think if you're adding like half and half or something at a coffee shop.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing is, is I think we nitpick on totally a lot of stuff. hmm. Is somebody gonna be retaining fat mass because they're over consuming no. coffee creamer? Probably mm-hmm. not. Like I don't yeah. think the co- I think if you're going to Starbucks and getting one of those crazy
1: Like a frapp yes. or yeah, and you like, don't realize that it's like five hundred calories, that's yeah. where we get into a lot of trouble.
0: If you're drinking black coffee with a little bit of creamer you're in good. it and maybe a placket or two of Splendid, mm-hmm. like you're not gonna have a problem. Like, yeah. Nobody's getting fat off of it.
1: No. That. I like the idea and I think this is how you explained it to me if I remember correctly more around knowing that because it's not such a big deal in the grand scheme of things, it's like a spot check every once in a while if I'm, let's say being super controlled with the rest of my nutrition and feel like there's other areas that can sort of clean up before potentially moving into a deficit or like tweaking the other things that are not the big rocks because we care about the big rocks, right? Yeah. The sleep, the consistency with your macros, your training, all that sort of stuff. But I think that's just a really good example of the balance that you have as a coach To be able to highlight different areas where we get too caught up, but also understand, hey, you can get yourself crazy in this area, but if you're getting yourself crazy in this area and getting into the weeds and you're not giving a shit about all the other things, you can curse on here, by the way, that really matter, then you are just making yourself in this crazy feedback loop and ultimately never going to get to where you want to go. And I know you could unpack that and you probably have a lot to say on it. So what I want to do to kind of guide the rest of this conversation is in the past when I had you on the show, you know, I always ask this question of who are you, but ditch the resume. We don't care about the certifications. Like let's get into this from the perspective of why should we care about what you have to say as a nutrition coach? And as a professional, and I really want to hear this answer from you specifically because I think you are so intentional with the way you show up and share information online too, not just in the one-on-one conversations that you and I have. And I want to know your take on your experience over the last 15 plus years, if not longer, through your own fitness journey. But why should The Fix listeners listen to this podcast?
0: So I've spent most of my time trying to be as practical as possible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I I have a knack for disseminating complex scientific principles and concepts into very easily digestible totally. nuggets of usable information. So I think where my value as a coach is, it's not in getting into the weeds of insulin resistance or sure. understanding glucagon or GLUT4 receptors, mm-hmm. like all that stuff. None of that matters to your listeners, my listeners, my audience. Most of our people are so rudimentary with their understanding of this stuff that if you can't speak to them in that language all you're doing is placating to all your coaching buddies online which don't matter they're not the ones <laughs> paying your bills and they're not the ones who need help right so for me I've always lived a life of relative balance although I I do get a little bit overwhelmed sometimes with some of my own vices which we all have um you know I've talked about it before yeah whether it's drinking doing recreational drugs you know but again intentionally yep I, there's nothing that I do anymore as a, as an almost forty year old man where I'm not thinking about the ramifications of it to some extent.
1: And you do you really highlight that so effectively and objectively, I think on your instagram stories like you did it literally just the other day i saw you do like two days worth of like
0: the sandwiches
1: (laughs) and you said like the seemingly toxic foods or whatever and i love that because i'm like this is just so you and it's it's not this bullshit effort to be on brand it's just generally who you are how you show up i know for a fact if the cameras weren't rolling that was would be how you'd be in your house on your own
0: I just don't know any other way to do it. Like, yeah, I, the it's way, your
1: personality. Yes,
0: like the way that I speak, the way I communicate, mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to give you what I know I can right. give you. Like yeah. I have never cared about what other people – I shouldn't say that. When I was younger and I was less mature, I cared Mm -hmm. about what everybody thought. Sure.
1: And I feel like you kind of highlighted that in the episode that we did do together because what I do remember from that conversation that I learned about you that I really didn't know because we just had more of a very like, hey, you're a coach, I'm a coach, let's just DM back and forth at the time. So I didn't know you on a more personal level. We did talk a lot about, you know, your experience in finance, then transitioning to Equinox and – even just like your experience growing up why you got into training. And it seems like some of it was rooted in that at the time, like so many other 17, 18-year-old, 25-year-old guys out there who can totally relate to that. But I feel like as I've gotten to know you more, and I'm sure this just comes with life experience too, you change a lot in a short period of time and long periods of time. It just seems like you have found this way of really trying to highlight in again, like I said, a very objective, matter of fact, no nonsense sort of way that I, for me, really just resonates.
0: Well, now the evolution has been talking about my plights as somebody who's been on this journey for twenty five years, sure. and I don't plan on getting off the train anytime soon. Yeah. Like I want to eat an entire bag of Stacy's pita chips Who doesn't? after dinner. You know, I want to have twenty five margaritas on the weekends mm-hmm. too. But I also know how that stuff makes me feel. So when I have my collapses so to speak, mm-hmm. I will discuss them on social media. Yeah. Because I want people to understand that just because I look the way that I do, this is it's not the summation of those instances. It's the summation of the habits around those specific collapses. Like my behavior ninety five percent of the time is in accordance with what I want to look and feel like. And then outside of those five percent, like I'll give myself that leniency, but it's also because I've spent twenty five years paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. The issue I think I take with a lot of people that are entering into this place or starting to focus on these things later on in life is they haven't put the reps in the way that I have or you have for 20 years. Like, they may have been really in good shape in their 20s, and then they got married and had kids, and all that went out the window for 20 years, and now they're coming back to it. But their expectations are are that (laughs) of
1: When they were 22. Right, and that's
0: just- In no other facet of our life do we think that uh, illogically or unreasonably. It's only when it comes to our body image, to our shape, to our size, because that's what, especially in the female community, that's what you're equating your value to. Which, in the male community, it's not much different. Like, we want to be a certain aesthetic Mm -hmm. because we want to attract the female mate. Sure. Or we want some validation for the work that we're doing because we're not getting pats on the back on a daily basis. Like, you don't get a gold star for eating well or Mm -mm. for going to the gym. Nobody gives a shit. Right. Right. So if, unless we're doing that for ourselves or we're part of a community that's fostering that, that positive environment, we're very lonely in this journey. And what I try to do on social media with my Instagram following, with my people on my Facebook community is I'm talking about all the shit that I end up doing to fall down on my face too. So then they can relate to it and be mm-hmm. like, well, cool, we're going to have pitfalls. Yep. Whether, if you're a recovering addict, like you're going to relapse mm-hmm. at some point you're going to end up doing heroin or drinking a beer, and that's going to suck, and you're going to have to fight your way out of that hole. The way we consume food is not much different than drugs and alcohol. To me, it's the same exact drive to dull, to numb, to replace some other feeling, and that's what food does for a lot of us. And now we're living in a time where it's just so easily accessible. Like You can get on GoPuff in two seconds, and there can be three bags of Popcorners delivered to your apartment. You Mm -hmm. can just be sitting there doing nothing, and now you're fulfilling a craving almost immediately. Yep. And that's the, the scary part about it. Like drugs are harder. Like if I have to go get blow, There's I have oops, to call. You gotta yeah, it's it's yeah. like a four hour process. <laughs> right. And by the time I by the time that four hours goes by, if I'm rational, logical, I probably won't even want, want it
1: anymore. It. Yeah.
0: Whereas with candy or cookies or treats or fast food, it's literally fast food for a reason. Because I can right. get it within 20, 30 minutes by that point. I'm probably stoned and i'm probably sitting on my couch mm-hmm. and i and i'm going to reaffirm that i want it right and because you've already gotten it into your head that you want that thing that craving is just going to get intensified over the course of that time of you convincing yourself and completely reinforcing that story over and over and mm-hmm. over again and that becomes your ritual
1: yeah and the the reinforcing the story piece i think as i reflect on the conversations that you and i have had over the last 12 months But I think more specifically in the last like five or six, we, you and I rarely talk about macros. And I think it's very important that we caveat this with something you already said. We have been at this for a long time. So even with me being your client, A lot of times I am looking for different things than I was even looking for myself when I worked with our mutual friend Mike Dola, who you just had on the show. I think I've shared with you, but that was my very first nutrition coach that I ever had. I didn't have him personally, but it was a part of the Stronger You brand and loved the coach. We're still friends. She's an amazing human being, but I didn't know what I didn't know. And at the time in working with her, I was just like a part-time group fitness instructor. I had my job in finance. I was 23, maybe, and my life was very simple. There was not a lot of stress. And I I look back on it now and I'm like, I got to take nuggets from things. But something you've done for me, whether you realize it or not, because I don't know that I've explicitly said it to you, is you've allowed me to give myself permission to recognize that the methods you used at some other point are not always going to be the methods to get you to where you're going. That's first. And then second it's okay to not be that person anymore. And that's been like a massive journey for me that you kind of busted (laughs) wide open when you asked me the question like three months ago, you were like, I don't know why you don't trust yourself, but we need to unpack that. And you nailed it. And I never, nobody ever positioned it to me that way to take it back to the relationships I've had with other coaches I know why when I was 23 and I didn't know jack shit about macros, the point at the time with that coach was like, let's get some tools. I didn't know what protein was. I I did, but I didn't know how to classify the foods. I didn't have the nutrition knowledge. I didn't have the certifications that I do now. I didn't have the client experience that I've acquired of understanding why habits matter, all these different things that we can pull on and recognize as tools. And as that evolved, what happened? other things in my life. Life literally happened, right? And I never really learned, probably until I would say like two to three years ago, the last two nutrition coaches that I've worked with, yourself included, have helped me actually see that, yes, the structure can always be there with my macros. The structure can be there with tracking my food. But what I need to explore is kind of like what I call with my clients, this next level of maturity in your journey that has more to do with looking at What rules are you hanging on to? What self-limiting beliefs do you have in place? And how can we navigate those so that you can actually see something like macro tracking as a fluid, flexible method that gets you to a certain point when you need to be dialed in or is something that is just like the basic foundation of your life, whether you're actually tracking or not. Using logic to fill your plate with a protein, a carb, and a fat, regardless if that actually goes into your food tracker on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, I mean your body's gonna give you credit, right? Like right. you don't have to wear this thing mm-hmm. to get fifteen thousand steps. Yeah. Like you're gonna get fifteen thousand steps. Yep. And I think we're getting so obsessed with devices validating our actions. Mm-hmm. And we get really caught up in the idea that, like, I have to, if I don't put it, the food into the thing, it's not real. Yeah. I don't get credit that for was it. That totally I, me. I have nobody to show it off to. Yep. Um, and I think it's, it, to me, it's always about intention and the control of emotions. So if you have a good intention behind, or a, or a productive intention behind eating, you're eating for a certain purpose. Like, most of the time I'm eating for fuel because I have to eat. Right. Every once in a while I eat for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Most people eat because it's just a time to have to fulfill a a requirement, and it's not usually pleasurable or for fuel. It's based fully out of some emotional capacity that they're having, whether it's stress, whether it's sadness, whether it's overwhelm. Whatever it is, it's causing people to do things irrationally. So I, I think if your intention behind food is understood and you're able to regulate your emotions elsewhere, then you're not having to have an emotional relationship with food, nor do you have an emotional relationship with the scale, nor do you have an emotional relationship to tracking. So if you can remove the emotion out of these metrics, which are black and white science, mm-hmm. then you can have a very productive relationship with all of it, and you can actually start to understand that if you don't track for a week, nothing bad's going to happen because your habits don't change. Correct. Or, you know, conversely, I have a client who's constantly on the road for work, and his check-in was awesome because he wrote, you know, that question I ask you guys. Yep if you're tracking consistently precisely like how would you rate yourself and he said i tracked everything but everything was, it was not, an wasn't weighed mm-hmm. Which to me, again, that's not tracking.
1: Yeah. like to you, me- you really, I, I'm so glad you brought this up because we had such a good conversation about this the other day that you got me to think about it in such a different way. And we were both kind of making the same point, but from like a completely different yeah. side of things. And I loved it. I was like, we have to talk about this on our podcast because just to give the listener more context, I was coming to you being like, Hey, a couple of months ago, we talked about moving into a calorie deficit sometime around January. As a coach who upholds the same standards for myself, that you also help me uphold, that I want my clients to uphold, that we both want our communities to uphold to get the results that we know they're capable of, I value tracking my food consistently. Why? Because we got to make sure we squeezed all the juice out of the current lemon, which is analogous to me to like what your current macros actually are. If I'm not tracking and you have overemphasized this to me to the point where this is now my default is if I come to you in six weeks and I'm like, yo, it's time for a deficit and I have nothing that you can look at as data, you're going to be like, okay, cool. Well, you need to spend two weeks with the macros that I had assigned to you months ago before we really start to have this conversation. And to emphasize this to the listener, because this is something I talk to my clients about all the time. The reason for us doing that is because of a tool and just like a thought process, I should say, that I think you've heard, you've said a number of times, and I probably got from you, but this idea of minimum effective dose. We don't want to pull your macros down any lower than we have to, let's say, for lack of a better way of phrasing it. So if I'm coming to you and I'm saying, hey, I'm ready for this deficit, you're going to be like, well, objectively speaking, like, let's figure out what the deficit actually needs to be. There's all these other levers we can pull on. in, a, in my case, like we could go ham and dissecting my sleep or lack thereof, we could say, right, before we really get nitty gritty with the actual carbs, protein, fat breakdown. Now, the conversation that you and I were having was around this idea of me saying to you, I have been traveling on and off for like 12 days. So I wanted to get back in the habit of just tracking my food even during that time, because what I didn't want was you to come to me and be like, well, you have nothing in your tracker for the last month, so I'm not going to let you pass go. And you knew where I was coming from, but you really challenged me because you were like, But does it really matter? Because if you're away for those 12 days, all of those things are estimates. And when you ask me, does it really matter? I was super honest with you and I threw myself right under the bus because it's the truth. When I don't, I said it to you straight up, I was like, well, here's the deal. When I don't track, I am way more inclined to eat like a dick because I will just have that mentality you said earlier. If I didn't put in my phone, it didn't actually happen. Well, guess what? My body knows that it happened and I don't have the physique that I desire to have However, I think where I've kind of been in this journey with you for the last year is coming to, not coming to terms, like I think that almost sounds like I'm throwing in the towel and that's not what I mean, but more so around this idea that. Accepting. Yeah, like being very accepting of where I am and like the season that I'm in, not discrediting what I have prioritized instead and being okay with like announcing that I am prioritizing things that don't explicitly have to do with my health and fitness. But where I get the guilt or the shame usually comes around the fact that I want to lead my clients through an example of saying, hey, you're a busy woman, you put a lot on your plate, that is me, so that's the client I tend to attract, and I know you work with a lot of other females, especially female coaches, who fall into that same bucket too, But I want my clients to see that you can do both, but it doesn't mean you have to be perfect at both things at all times. And that's why I'd like to be more transparent in us recording this episode and me kind of now moving into this next phase with you and talking through deficit and like what that looks like. Because I think too many people have this idea that it's very all or nothing. And that's what you and I were kind of getting at and your point was totally valid. I just never looked at it that way. Because you were kind of saying to me, Well, does it really matter if you track these things? Because in your mind, your expectation for me is that I continue to be thoughtful and that I continue to say, Hey, just because I'm not tracking it, there should be a protein, a carbon, a fat. And I do know like off the cuff what happens when I travel protein gets a little tougher to hit if I'm not intentional regardless sure. of whether I track it it's just being intentional of like buying the shakes to supplement with making sure I'm ordering like the extra chicken where I can at the restaurant this week we utilized a meal prep service which is very helpful and their food was delicious too I love it by the way so thank you for that but acknowledging that there is a way to still do, you know, let's call it 75% of the work if we really wanted to measure it and allow me to stay on target for the plan that we set up for ourselves a couple months ago. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, and I think you've done an overall good job. I think the problem is, is to me, Mm -hmm. if I approach something in a black and white way like food tracking or food consumption, I have to be able to remove the emotional component out of it. So that means that if you're going to, if you're going to gather data that I'm going to then further use to manipulate an outcome, mm-hmm. I have to have real numbers. So, like, yeah. f- with the example of the person that I work with who's been traveling for, I don't know, how many weeks straight. Sure. Every single meal that he consumes is eaten at a restaurant. You have no clue. Right. Like, I've been at restaurants where I've specifically ordered exactly what I wanted, mm-hmm. and I still don't know how, many, how what the portion size is. Now... You know, let's say I order one whole egg and seven egg whites at Snooze Cafe in La Jolla. They're not going to give me seven egg whites that I would pour out. They're not going to crack seven eggs and remove right. the yolk and the put same it on the way plate.
1: you did. At, you would do it at home.
0: Or are they going to use a carton of egg whites that I would purchase? Probably not either. Mm-hmm. So I don't know their method of cooking. I don't know how much oil they're going to use in the pan as a base. I and nine out of ten times when I lift up whatever food I'm looking at, there is a. Gob and gob and <laughs> gob load of oil.
1: Yep, butter, all that stuff.
0: So people have to understand that, like, and Alan Aragon talked about this on our podcast, the average restaurant meal equivalent to what you would make at home is 7 to 900 calories above what you would do at home.
1: Like, really think about That's that. That's an astronomical. Yeah, topic. I want to repeat that for everybody. <laughs> Aram said 7 to 900. He didn't say 70 calories. He didn't say 120. Like, really... Even 300, like if we want to split hairs over this shit, 300 calories, like let's just say that was like the peak and we knew that there was no possible scenario where it could be any higher than that. Most of us would be like pretty okay, but seven to 900, that's why you're fucked.
0: Well, but even cut it in half, <laughs> yeah. right? So let's, let's take it at, th- let's take it at 350 sure, and let's multiply that by the average American I think will probably consume anywhere between three to five meals out a week mm-hmm. at least. So let's conservatively three meals at 350 over what you think it is Right now puts you at almost an 1,100-calorie surplus. Most And people, that was only
1: half. Right. So it's really a 2,500-calorie-ish weekly. surplus weekly. So
0: if you think about that, and, you know, calories are real and they matter,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, you know, we have to be very mindful of that. And we also have to be realistic because most most women that I work with aren't eating 2,700 calories. No. That's not what they're maintaining weight on. Most women are maintaining their weight anywhere between 14 to 1900.
1: And I would just like to underscore that as somebody who works with you, I have been eating when I am diligently tracking and I'll ballpark it just because I know that I certainly eat more meals out when I'm busy. That's a default for me. That's something we've talked through extensively and that's why I wanted to bring this up. I eat like some days, 2300 calories, some days when I'm honest and trying to track the meals out, and it could be higher, but what I'm tracking can compute to like 25 to 2600 calories. And I'll tell everybody right now, I have not lost any weight in the past year. But again, acceptance of the process because you've allowed me to learn how to be really objective in understanding why the physique that I see is what it is. I'm not like surprised when I wake up every day because I know what I could be working on. But again, I just want to use myself as an example to be super clear that we fast forward a few weeks from now and depending on when this episode comes out, we may already be going down this path together. The minute you and I are like, okay, cool. Let's start the road on the deficit. Going from an average of like 2,500 calories a day down to 2,000 or even 1,900, you bet your ass I'm going to start to drop weight as long as I'm consistent with it. And I know that that's a part of the process.
0: Well, and I think also people need to understand like you're not somebody who's sitting sitting idly no. by, not training. right not taking steps. There's
1: a reason why we came up with the macros or the calories. I should say that I just threw out there. Like, even when Aram and I first started working together, we didn't start at a range of like 2,300 calories It was a little bit lower than that. And more of the adjustments that you and I made were accounting for my lifestyle, the stressors that I was facing that I'm really open with you about in saying, hey, my schedule gets a little crazy, but where you've really stepped in for me as a coach to just help me have more tools is what I said earlier, not actually talking to me about my calories and macros, but asking me to get really clear with what's my schedule look like what does my time management look like where can I manipulate some of these things how can I by you saying yo go do this thing like getting your training in give myself permission to leave my phone on do not disturb and not feel like in the middle of a set I'm like texting anybody besides you because really the only person I should be speaking to at that time is you to give me feedback on what I'm doing
0: And a lot of people have that problem. Like I Mm -hmm. have a lot of moms who will work out in the morning, but they won't wake up early enough. And now their kids are are awake at the same time that they're trying to get their session and they're running into the gym at home. Sure. Um, I I really do believe that everybody should have a $20 planet fitness membership if you don't have a better gym around, but it's so affordable now and it gets you out of your house. It gets you into a place where you're around other people. that are doing the same thing that kind of you are. It allows you to have availability of equipment, mm-hmm. ability to actually lift heavier weights, and just your boundaries. Boundaries. You're hopefully. I mean, if you have your phone and you're filming, then fine. If you're not filming for whatever reason, then don't. Don't even bring your phone into the gym with you unless you're reading your workout off of it. So stuff like that. And I think the other thing I wanted to mention too is the fact that like you don't get to get away with eating four meals out a week and still tra- and even while training as hard as you do. And still get the body that you want yeah. because you can eat back whatever marginal calories you burn. Because most people overestimate how much they burn and they underestimate how much they eat. That is a scientific, blind, black and white fact that we can never run away from. Mm -hmm. So there is no amount of exercise that will be able to remedy the amount of food that you're over-consuming or seemingly not Mm over-consuming, according to yourself. So there's a massive disconnect between energy consumption and energy expenditure. And what people really just need to simply understand is that with how palatable and how how highly calorically dense food is today, you could be an ultra-marathon runner. And Eric Trexler was on our podcast talking about the same exact thing. And that's what the guy does for a living.
1: Right. He, I, that was a great episode. He I measures energy
0: was really expenditure. Yeah. And he's talking about people that are doing 100-mile races. Right. That – still are gaining weight at 5,000 calories. Mm-hmm. So if those people can't burn 5,000, your Peloton ride in the morning is not burning a 1,000. Yeah. And if it were, you would be seeing that result on the scale in the mirror. You would know that you were doing it. So we have this very disordered relationship with expectations of how much efficacy we're getting from exercise and what we should expect out of exercise versus what leniency we should we should also then be able to buy back with food. Mm-hmm. And again, it's not the 1900s. Like we don't, we're not farming our own food. We're not controlling our own portions anymore. We don't understand what's in our food anymore. Things that are seemingly unprocessed are already processed. And again, like you said,
1: food is just more available. Like cheaper, Mike was somebody that available. that taught me that very early on. He, at the time that I was in Stronger You, I have like a recording of him in my head, being like, "The world today, as we know it, with the technology that we have, from a food perspective, the world is not designed for fat loss." And, you know, we or
0: intuitive eating.
1: No, and talking about like Uber Eats or just the fact that the grocery store is open till midnight. Like these are things that we really have to consider because you said it yourself when you talked about your own experiences with the coffee example and how we kind of got right into this. You have opportunities to control the variables. And you also mentioned this and I would love for you to expand on it because it was such a great series of stories. You talked about with going out to eat that, I don't know, maybe like f- not even 40, 50 years ago, people didn't go out to eat to the frequency with which they no. do today. It was maybe like a twice a month sort of thing.
0: Uh, right? If, if you were, a, if you were it, a, financially, it, family. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, and I even think about that, like probably 40 years ago is even like too far back. Like And, you know, I'm Italian. My mom loves to cook. So there's obviously an element that maybe I wasn't raised the same exact way as a lot of people. But I could not tell you, I don't have that many memories from my childhood of us consistently going out to eat unless it was a birthday and maybe a holiday, but chances are the holidays were usually spent at home because my family likes to cook. Now we can dissect what we were actually cooking and that's like a whole another element to it. But for the most part, this whole concept of eating out is like a pretty new novelty. And I'd love for you to expand on that because you made such great points in those couple of like, you know, 60 seconds that you put up on your stories.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the, one of the biggest challenges I'm seeing is just the fact that Restaurant food is so highly calorie-dense and that we don't know how to measure it. And a good example of that is, like, if I order a Poke Bowl from a local Poke place, Mm -hmm. even if I ask for all the stuff on the side, right, the dressing on the side or whatever they put in it, whatever sauces I use, I've actually gone through, put on a plastic glove, Mm -hmm. disassembled all the ingredients, and weighed them.
1: Of course you have.
0: And I know what the Poke Bowl had in it. Mm -hmm. I mean, again... As close as I possibly could. Did I? And this was the
1: one time at this one place. There's, of course, variables of who's doing the pour or in the portion sizes. But, like, it's still a good exercise just to kind of see. And what did you find?
0: So the Poke Bowl that I was ordering was something around 850 calories or so. And it was a massive amount of protein, like almost 80 grams of protein, like probably 90 to 100 grams of carbs. And I'm
1: assuming it was tuna.
0: It was tuna and shrimp. And then it was probably, like, 25 to 30 grams of fat. So that's a very dense meal. Okay. Like most women aren't eating 900 calorie meals no. four times yeah. a day. You
1: and I have talked about this at, in my effort to get more protein we agreed that, and we can like get into like why I structure my day the way that I do. But I said to you, is it cool if I eat 80 grams of protein in my like meal number one? Cause I wouldn't even call it breakfast. And you text me back and you were like, how's your digestion? I'm like, it's fine. And you were like, go for it. But I do that intentionally with protein specifically just to front load my day because I know my weak points. And for me, it's to tie back to the eating out. It's more around the fact that I will let the day go by and not give myself the boundary and time and structure to take the 25 minutes for lunch, that then I allow myself to get hangry, that I'm reactive, and I need to rely on more of my meal prep approach versus being like oh I'm gonna go like get a wrap or oh I'm gonna go like have a burger go out to eat and whatever it is right so it's it's really like conceptually when you say it that way and then emphasize it back for the ladies that are listening here it's so funny that clients are so afraid of food it's actually not that you're afraid when you think like oh my god I can't eat all those calories listen up if you go out to eat on the weekends, twice, we are promising you that you are eating those calories, yet you're like, there's no way I could eat more than 1,400 calories. You are. No,
0: you are, but you're You're not doing it with nutrient density. Right, and intention. It with, right, you're, like you go to a brunch, and you do a piece of avocado toast,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then you have two mimosas, that's 800 calories. Right. Right there. And that was one meal, had, people. And, and you had no f- actual... Like, satisfying food. Like Which I means
1: eat, you're going to be hungry in three hours, if that.
0: It, on top of the fact, you probably have a buzz already now, <laughs> yeah. too. So you're going to want to eat something after that. Mm-hmm. So inhibition is down, calories are up, and that's where we're finding these problems. And, of course, if you assign somebody eight ounces of, of salmon grilled, like, that's a big piece of fish for most people. Yeah. But they have no problem plowing through an entire basket <laughs> of tortilla chips in one sitting... Because you're not thinking about that, right? You're not, you're not basically even having to chew any of that. It just crumbles in your mouth and the way that the texture and the taste and the satiety of it is so poor that you can continually. And so if anybody understands, uh, the science around fullness and the brain, it takes the brain about 20 minutes after you've put something in your mouth to recognize that it's full. So you can physically be putting food in and there's a 20-minute lag between. Which is a
1: decent amount of time if you actually of, think about plenty it. Plenty
0: of damage can be done in 20 minutes. Yeah, I've done it.
1: Totally. Me I, too. I
0: had a friend over on Saturday night. She brought over a bag of white cheddar popcorns, which are my favorite yeah, thing in the I world. I
1: those popcorns, They're so good.
0: And It was the big bag. It wasn't yeah. the small bag. It the was big the one. big bag that, that that families are eating yeah. or splitting. I ate the whole thing. <laughs> I I think she had one serving.
1: I'm not surprised.
0: So that's six servings, and I think that six servings equated to about 750 calories, about 30 grams of fat. Mm -hmm. Most of the women I work with don't eat more than, that shouldn't be eating more than 60 or 70 grams of fat. So if half of your fat gets consumed by one bag of chips that you've eaten, Mm -hmm. what food are you leaving yourself for the rest of the day? Not much. And this is why- Unless you
1: want to eat straight chicken.
0: Correct. And this is why if you want food volume and food density, you should eat- natural starches like potatoes and like rice now with rice you have to be a little more careful because you're going to have less actual product of rice Mm -hmm. versus potatoes potatoes you'll have more you'll have a larger portion of potatoes for less carbs than you will with rice Mm -hmm. this is why starting every meal with a massive piece of and i i will say massive because i want it to be as big as humanly possible yeah and then filling up the plate with a bunch of vegetables that you don't mind eating and that's where it comes down to like if you want to do butternut squash do it if you want to do cucumbers do it If you want to do stuff that you actually have to like chew and break down, even if it's cooked, Mm -hmm. because just the physical act of chewing will slow you down and it will actually make you understand what feeling full feels like. Because when you're eating those snack foods, if you're eating restaurant foods, those things are designed for you to overeat because they want you coming back and they want you spending more money and they want you mindlessly consuming. So you lose that relationship with satiety and the only way you'll ever get it back is by trying to spend more time eating at home than you will eating out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So use it as a treat. The best advice I'll ever give anybody is understand that treats are treats and they belong as treats. If you're doing them every day, that now is your diet. Yeah,
1: it's not so a So if,
0: if you're eating a cookie after every dinner, that's your diet. If you're having seven or eight meals out a week, or right now I just signed up with a guy in New York City who obviously lives in the best place in the world for food, mm-hmm. he eats out 10 plus times a week. I'm like, dude, no way. There is 0%, I can see it. There's 0% chance that you will ever be able to hit any aesthetic or physique or even just feeling good goal because you're having two drinks at every meal, mm-hmm. you're eating out two meals out of every single day, and you're doing that five to six days a week. It's not going to happen.
1: No, do not. care.
0: I don't care what macros I set for you. I don't care what workouts I assign for you. I don't care what mindset exercises we implement. You will not lose weight and get the ideal physique that you want or even feel better Living that type of a lifestyle. So, if anybody's listening to this and they're like, Well, I don't understand, we have a good plan. I don't understand why it's not working. Actually, physically, like and realistically, audit what your behavior with meals out looks like and where are you dropping the ball as far as actual proactive eating versus reactive eating. I think that was a good point that you
1: made. Absolutely, and that's something that you and I both, like I know what your check-in process is because I obviously do it and you and I have talked about this before. One of my favorite questions that I get off of clients is when they actually sit down and count how many days this week did you go out to eat? I just had this conversation with you and I just had this conversation with a client not even a week ago because it was coming off of Thanksgiving. She was traveling And I also asked them, I know you do this, count your drinks. So we have a question for the alcohol and we have a question for the meals out. She tallied up six drinks and she really barely drinks. So for her, over the course of a week, six was a lot for her. And it was like, you know, it doesn't even matter what kind of alcohol it is. We could have a whole other podcast on that. It's irrelevant at this point. But like when I pointed out to her because her check-in was kind of like, I'm a little frustrated because we were moving off off of a deficit and I think part of the, oh, I want to have a couple extra beers might have been coming from that, which, okay, that's fine. But when she stepped back and I did her check-in and I said, hey, you are expressing some disappointment with what you're seeing on the scale this week. The reason why that is happening to you is because... It's not that you didn't hit your macros, it's that you had these six drinks and arguably you probably didn't hit your macros based on everything we just discussed because she did eat out twice. Now, twice is not the same as 10. So all of this, I think it's important to highlight is relative to where you were before. And what's really cool is if we take the example of this guy that you just mentioned who's eating out 10 plus times, I want everybody to really understand this. That's a low hanging fruit because it's something we can a hundred percent fucking change tomorrow. And we're not telling you to give up going out to eat. I'm asking that guy, if he's my client and I know you're doing the same dude, This is 10 plus times right now. Can we take it from 10 to 6? And then once you go to 6, can we take it from 6 to 4? And then once you get to 4, can we take it to 2? And however long that takes, the part that's the most important of everything you just highlighted with him as the example is it's just about expectations relative to the amount of time it's going to take you to hit your goal.
0: Yeah, and the low-hanging fruit concept is... Very important because people look at all this stuff in a very restrictive lens mm-hmm. and they immediately think that they're, that all these rules that we're implementing on them, they will have to just immediately rebel against them. And that's just how adults are. Like I, if you, and I've made this, <laughs> ex, I've made this example before. The reason why a child will develop intellectually, physically in a short amount of time, right? From like three to 18. Yeah. Whole new human being. Yeah. size scope understanding of life like everything changes from 20 to 50 nothing happens unless nothing. You, unless you physically make it happen
1: right it's on you the self ownership thing is a real deal
0: right so what what's the difference between the two stages of life in one stage of life you're being given rules and you're being given parameters by your parental st- people by your teachers everybody's giving you a rule to follow and you just blindly follow it because that's what the expectation is as soon as you turn 18 or 20 and you get out of college it's like oh my god there's no more rules and i can do whatever i want well where does that lead you it leads you down a path of not having any structure Mm. of not having any accountability of not having any responsibility so essentially all the rules that made you a human being and an adult you've now completely dismissed and thrown away because you're able to which I think is ridiculous because we need rules. We have we have speed limits, we have lines at airports, we have lines at coffee shops, we have ways to do everything. Right. For whatever reason, when it comes to eating, people take this very liberal approach of saying, "Well, I can just eat whatever the fuck I want and expect to just look like her," not examining what her does. Like she spends most of her time being mindful about her consumption. She spends most of her time not sitting. She spends most of her time going to bed at nine. Like I was at a dog park on. Thursday afternoon, like some random four sure. o'clock time, there was five people there. Three of them were drinking, like they're drinking on a Thursday afternoon with their like they they. It's like this communal thing that they do where they they, they bring beers and they hang out and they watch their, their dogs. dogs. They're, they're not even actively doing anything with their dogs. They're sitting <laughs> on a park bench. One dog was fighting <laughs> the another irony dog, of
1: that.
0: and they're sitting there with beers. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, "There's no way in this universe that I would ever want to drink in this setting." Like, for me, to, for me to want to drink, I have to be at a nice restaurant, at a house party, at a music festival, at a concert. Like, that's a venue for me to drink. Sure. But on a Thursday afternoon to bring my dog to a park, the last thing I'm doing is drinking. But that's the average human pattern of behavior. Mm. And then they wonder why I look the way that I do and they look the way that they do. Right. It's like, I live in accordance to feeling my best, mm-hmm. and that means I'm going to have to sacrifice the bullshit that you guys are willing to put up with. And it's that tolerance... And that complacency that you get stuck with where it's like they don't even consider, well, why do you why do you pick different coffee shops to go to? Or why do you bring your own creamer? Because I want to be in control. Mm-hmm. Why do you drink on a Thursday afternoon at, at a dog park and not even do anything with your dog? Like you're, sit, stay, you're sitting there. Like get some steps in. Like you're sitting there complaining. The same people that are complaining about all their problems are also the same ones that are shooting themselves in the foot. That's probably not your audience and not my audience because they've figured some stuff out. Right. But the last piece of the puzzle, the puzzle the puzzle piece that's going to get you from B to C, because you've already gotten from A to B, is going to be sacrificing some nights out. Mm-hmm. It's going to be not drinking every chance you get. It's going to be leveling up your training. It's going to be implementing better sleep hygiene. And it's going to be managing and being more resilient to stress. So if you don't want to do those things, then you have to accept being at point B. Right. And that's fine. But understand that for you to get to B to C... It's like getting a raise at work and getting a promotion. You're going to get more work dumped on you.
1: Mm-hmm. With Comes more, with the territory. It has to. So yeah.
0: I want people to really be accepting of the fact that what you did to get here is not is, is going to be what you have to do to stay here. Mm-hmm. But then if you want to move further from this point, you have to do more stuff.
1: Right. And it's, again, the highlight of the example around the dog park. Love that. Because we're also, yes, we're passing our judgment but we're not passing judgment on their choice to do it at that time. We're ultimately passing judgment on their frustration that comes down the line because like for us, and I think for you especially something that is like a skill that you have. So just, it's a natural thing for you that you've really helped me develop as a coach is getting clients to understand there's a difference with this acceptance piece and the emotions that you may have around it versus complaining or being frustrated when we know you're the person at the dog park on the Thursday. I can't have all the empathy in the world for the person at the dog park on Thursday. And I and I just really appreciate you because that's a skill as a coach that in having you as my coach in the last year, you have helped me really hone that in a way that like I'm not trying to be a bitch, but sorry, I have a responsibility as your coach, me speaking to my clients, they know I will be the, I I can play the bad cop because why? I hold them to a higher standard because like you just said, our audience is capable. If they weren't, they wouldn't be listening to this. They wouldn't come to us looking for advice because deep down, they really just wouldn't care.
0: Yeah. And some people, and it's okay not to care.
1: Exactly. That's where the no judgment's coming from because you always add that.
0: Uh, and that's the thing is I don't want people to think that I'm sitting like listen I think all of us naturally can look at somebody because we we wear our habits on our body yep. like the reality is is if you're seventy pounds overweight you are the person sitting at the airport waiting for your plane you are the one who's going mm-hmm. to McDonald's at the airport you are the one who's drinking at the dog park you are the one who doesn't give a shit about what you order at the restaurant people that look like me are a lot more mindful so yep. when I walk into a room there's no confusion that I pay attention to nutrition there's no confusion that I don't drink every weekend that well said. I can so if you want to live in accordance with those things that you wanted to, that you desire, then you have to give up some of that bullshit that you're participating in because that's just your ritual. Mm-hmm. Just because it's been something that you've done for a while, then you have to expect that the same outcome is going to keep occurring. If you want something different and if you truly don't feel good, because a lot of these people don't actually feel good, they may enjoy the process of what they're doing. They may enjoy the drinks and the booze and the nights out. But they don't actually feel well because when you ask them to like check in with themselves, like how do you actually feel? Well, my energy sucks. My bowel movements are unpredictable, or loose, or hard. I have absolutely no positive mood ever. I'm always in kind of just a shitty blob place. I don't sleep well. I don't feel physically capable or strong. So if those, are, if the, if the actions that have gotten you to that point are are what you're now staring at in the face, why would you not start to explore some changes? Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean throw away all of your pleasures in life, but I'm also going to challenge the idea that these things bring you pleasure because they're not bringing you pleasure. They're bringing you relief from your boring fucking life that you're living because you can't think outside the box to go do something other than go out to eat Mm -hmm. or go do something other than go drink. Like if you're at a dog park, instead of going to a dog park, why don't you go to a a hiking trail? And now you're not going to drink and you're going to get some steps in. Instead of going out every Friday night as your ritual dinner out, maybe go somewhere where you're going to either go to, like, a pasta-making class, and now you're going to learn how to make the food versus get the food delivered to you. Love that. So there's so many different ways to, like, enjoy life and live life versus just getting through the day, which is what everybody's doing, Mm -hmm. on autopilot and then never checking in with how they actually feel.
1: Yeah. Great point. And you're a popular podcast man today, so I need to be respectful of your time and not keep you for too long because you have another interview to do. Actually, two more, right?
0: Just Jeb. Okay.
1: But with that in mind, in just kind of bringing this all home to everything that you just said about really challenging this idea of like, is that actually bringing you pleasure? I think it's just like the momentary pleasure, right? But like you said, it is a vice. The food relationship, food itself is a vice just like anything else. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, and this could be This could get into intuitive eating and that is a movement and all the different fad diets. Like people don't want to accept that food is vice. And we need it's to. It's
0: become a vice. Yeah. I don't think it ever. I don't it do not think it ever, have to it, it wasn't always a no, vice. No, it wasn't. People had real interests.
1: Right. We were doing other things that didn't involve like scrolling social media. <laughs> right? I mean, even with podcasting, I say this all the time. And I know that you and Jimmy could probably relate to this for sure. I love podcasting because I get to sit here for an hour with you. There's no other distractions. Like the out, this hour goes by in like 13 seconds, it feels like. And I learned so much. Like, you guys get great guests on your show. I spend so much fucking time walking and listening to podcasts that half my friends, especially people in the space, they're like, why do you know so much random shit about so many different things? And honestly, it's because I don't really watch Netflix, even when I'm cooking, even when I'm working, podcasts playing in the background as if I were listening to the radio. I feel that I'm a more dynamic human being and have a lot more to talk about and a lot more to bring to the table because of those decisions that I make to, for example, have interests in things other than going out to a bar and getting bombed on a Friday. Again, acknowledging are there times when we want to go out and have a drink and have a good time and blow off that steam? Yes, 100%. But we can bring to the table the perspective of like, hey, I'm signing up for this tonight. I know what the consequences of that are tomorrow. Now, I'm going to shift this just a tiny bit because I want to touch on one other thing before I let you go. And that is just tying it back to some of the lessons that I've been able to learn from you and, and really kind of hone in my own coaching, but also my own relationship to training. And you know how I feel about training compared to where I was a year ago. I was in like a really big funk where I just felt kind of like blah in the gym. And I also felt like I was overcomplicating so many things in the gym. And I told you that right from the jump. I was like, listen, I get myself in this like tizzy because I have this desire that's probably coming from my group fitness days to want to change things up, to feel like I need to keep it interesting for myself that I know for a fact I've lost sight of the goal of body composition that can be accomplished with keeping things simpler. So what I would love for you to just give your take on, and this is a loaded question, especially for you, because I know you could probably say a lot, but the importance of one, going into the gym with a plan because you have a goal, but two, recognizing this is my big learning from 2023 with you. There is a standard set of exercises that will get the job done in making you strong as fuck, look, up, look good naked, but we also need to take care to learn how to listen to our body to figure out what the best exercise is for you. And to give the listener an example, when I first started working with Aram, I was very frequently back squatting and deadlifting with a barbell. I have not touched either of those exercises, but let me be clear. I now use a Smith machine and there's a reason with why it's something that we talked about for a while. And in my case, I just kind of figured out that like squatting wasn't doing it for me. The more you looked at my form and the more you asked me questions around, where do you actually feel this? I never in my life until I started working with you would have touched a hamstring curl and a leg extension but I'm so glad that you asked me to just go try it. And I can't tell you why I have no rationale behind it. I just didn't do it. Like I know the purpose of it. I know it works, but I'm super proud because I have gotten really strong in the last 12 months. Like I didn't know I had the kind of strength that I do. And it's from actually creating consistency with what everybody else out there on Instagram would think is basic, but it fucking works.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to movement patterns, I mean the body moves in certain directions. Yeah. Um, Now, context as always
1: mm-hmm.
0: if the overarching goal is i want to look better naked that's yes. obviously going to be mostly nutrition because yep. that's body fat reduction mm-hmm. that means if i have muscle i want it to be seen yep the only way you're going to see muscle is if there's low enough body fat mm-hmm. to see it so let's just dispel that immediately yep. so let's say the body fat is low enough for you to be able to see muscle but let's say let's say you kind of have that like, burnt, like that like like melted candle physique yeah you know like the <laughs> saggy butt you know <laughs> No delineation of a shoulder, yep. no back muscles in a dress. You have to build tissue. To mm-hmm. build tissue, you have to create enough stress on that specific muscle group to be able to get that muscle to respond by either growing, which it'll grow. It'll grow secondary to getting stronger. The muscle will always get stronger first. It'll grow second. Growth will come from more tension and more time under tension.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That could be dispelled. Interpreted in a, a lot of right. ways. Yeah. And then also the fuel source to yep. be able to maintain that muscle growth. So the tension part of it is stability. Like I have to be stable in order for tension yep. to be felt in that. And specific I think that's area. what
1: you've specifically really helped me just redefine. Yes. Yeah, so stability, so stability
0: you know, if you're back squatting or if you're deadlifting, your body's in space and it's being held up by you. Mm-hmm. Like you're holding your own body up.
1: That's a lot of demand.
0: It's you're asking the body to now go from a standing to a squatted position with a load in a place that is relatively uncomfortable so you're having to think about a multitude of different activities happening at once so the squat is an excellent booty builder if you feel it in your booty right and it'll by default grow your butt anyway even Mm -hmm. if you're doing it poorly but at some point that growth will stop because other muscles are taking over quads will take over Mm -hmm. hamstrings will do some work your spinal erector is just holding yourself up your abdominal muscles will do work so is there a better way to do that same movement that you know is going to produce an ass in a more stable and loadable environment? So that's why I recommend a Smith machine for a lot of people, because now you take the guesswork out of body stabilization. You take the guesswork out of um, where do I feel it? Because now if you want to move, if you want to feel more of your butt, move your feet forward. Mm-hmm away from your hips. So now you're hinging backwards. Yeah. If you want to
1: feel more comfortable to play with that, I want the listeners to know that like something that you've really helped me see is like, Hey, go try this other machine. But then like, let's experiment with like these little tweaks. And I also want to be clear, I've been working out for a very fucking long time. So people yeah. need to understand that too. And like part of the reasons that I'm asking you very specific questions is because I'm sitting here saying to myself, okay, I've been squatting for how many years? Let's like dissect this for a second and see if that is the beck the best mechanism for Krista and her goals. So that's something that I think is also important to caveat.
0: Well, and you also got to look at like, is what I'm doing giving me what I want? Right.
1: Because for a while I, I was questioning if it was. And that's when you just opened the door for me to like, just say, hey, like, why don't you have a little fun in the gym and just like try a couple of things? We're not married to them. If we decide, hey, like, let's implement things you did use in the past and then actually get consistent with them, which is the other very, very important piece here. Then let's see what happens. And, and be okay with it being an experiment. I think that's the other part where people get really caught up because they're so concerned about the time to get to the end goal, to get to the end of the process. There is no fucking end to the process. No. And ultimately, then they don't give themselves permission to just play. And something I've said to you recently is I actually like, like going to the gym again. And for a while, I just I felt bad that I didn't like it because it's my profession.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're not always going to have fun in the gym. You're not. I think the expectations. Yeah, I go through like, waves. Yeah, my, I mean, I'm going to rock. I'm ride. sure you
1: do too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, now with the Achilles tear and not being able to really go full throttle. Sure. I have to retool and rethink the way that I train as well. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that I also have to accept, and this is what a lot of people don't do this exercise. I'm at a point in my lifting career where how much bigger and stronger am I really going to get?
1: And do, how much do you want to? Like I you start to ask yourself that question, and that's it's, a fair question. It's
0: too much work. Sure. So for me, can I dial back the way that I train and make it more athletic and make it move in different directions versus only focusing on just this perpetual muscle growth that is going to require me to probably be on steroids? Mm-hmm. It's probably going to have me eating way more food than I'm comfortable eating, and sure. I don't want to do that. That's work so for people that are in a program even if you are in an actual workout program ask yourself do i understand what the intention of each movement that i'm doing is Mm. if that specific exercise was taken or that machine was taken would i know how to pivot away from it comfortably and confidently am i increasing load every chance i can get am i actually feeling the muscle that's intended to be moving that part so if you don't if you ask those questions you don't know the answers to any of them then you don't really know what you're doing in the gym. No. You're just going through the motions and that's what most people do when they go there whether mm-hmm. it's a group guided class which is in my opinion the worst possible setting it's really instructor based but in most cases what I've seen is most instructors are not they don't have the time to spend no. dissecting where you should feel a squat or where you should feel a lunge. They're just like, just do the thing because I'm asking you to do it. Right.
1: And again, we have to bring this all the way back to what is the goal. And in the context of myself, the goal is clear. It has to do with how I ultimately would like to look. And you said it, the nutrition piece is not to be ignored. I just want to also highlight what does go on in the gym and really trying to help people see, especially because my audience is a lot of big group fitness girlies. And they get frustrated because they're like, but I'm going to the gym. You are, but you're checking the box. You're going, but are you getting the education, to your point? And yeah. you've really helped me change the frame even for clients to start to better help them understand why we do the things that we do from an exercise perspective. And that's tough for a lot of my clients because they're so used to someone just simply telling them what to do in that environment. And then they don't question it. And their frustration comes from, well, I'm going and I'm doing this. Cool. Cool if you keep doing what you're you've been doing and you don't like what you're seeing something's got to change
0: well it's like it's the same it's the same thing as if i'm if i'm at a gym and i'm squatting or i'm at a restaurant and i'm eating salmon that i could have made at home the Mm -hmm. salmon that you're eating at the restaurant has more calories right the exercise you're doing it in the group fitness class is poorly loaded and unstable and it's being done way too quickly Mm -hmm. so you don't actually feel what you're supposed to feel so it's the same situation in both cases You're just doing it suboptimally, not to the best of your ability, with very little understanding behind why.
1: Yeah. So well said. Well, I'm going to wrap us up with a quick little fun lightning round, fast questions about fitness, food, all that stuff, and then we're going to get you out of here so you can go hang out with Jeb. Ready? All right. First one. What is, if you can only eat one food for the rest of your life, For every single meal, what are you going to eat? With
0: no consequence?
1: No consequence, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Like, in the imaginary world that we have not been discussing. Pizza. Okay. What if there was consequences? What's your practical one?
0: Oh. Uh, Probably, I mean, the thing that I eat now, which is ground, lean ground beef, rice, and uh, either spinach or some type of a green
1: vegetable. Okay. If you could wave a magic wand (laughs) on just, like sentiments and information that's shared in the fitness industry that's incorrect what is like the top of your list of something that you'd like to change within you know the second of waving the wand
0: probably fasting yeah i mean it's gotten to a point now where just it's i've i get the should i be intermittent fasting question
1: a lot daily yeah me too
0: daily and my response to it always is do you have digestive issues (laughs) and do you like breakfast? If it's no and yes, then eat breakfast.
1: What's your advice? You got to keep this one short and it could be a podcast, but I think it's important we hit on it. For our ladies out there who are very concerned about their hormones as they approach menopause, what is your advice for them in terms of their lifestyle choices so that they can understand it's not simply about your hormones?
0: If you're truly concerned... Get a full blood panel done by somebody who knows what, how to interpret that blood panel and they'll be the first line of defense for you. But even they will corroborate that you probably don't have a problem. You Listen, as you get into menopause, you're going to have the degradation of hormonal stress. It so like, they, they just start to reduce. That's aging, yeah. But you don't have to live with that diagnosis. You mm-hmm. can obviously go get optimized, you can get hormone replacement therapy, but that hormone replacement therapy won't do anything and won't cooperate inside of a physiology or a body is poorly rested, highly stressed, under-muscled, and overfed.
1: Well said. That's it. Very well said. (laughs) And last but not least, the most important thing I want you to touch on today, in March you have an amazing conference that you've organized for year number two. Tell anybody who's listening to this, whether they're a practitioner or just an individual who gives a shit about their health and wants to get better, give us the rundown on the real coaches summit. when is it? How do we get our tickets and why should we go?
0: So it's not just for coaches and trainers and chiropractors and PTs. like if you're an enthusiast of just if you're somebody who can who consumes content regularly on social media podcasts about fitness and nutrition, this is a great place for you to learn to dig deep dives into like some very specific subject matter. The topics are actually posted on the website. But it's realcoachesummit2023.com. We'll
1: put it in the show notes.
0: Um, it's it's an all inclusive event, so you can basically leave your wallet in the room. All your meals are covered. Your happy hours are covered. Uh, the presenters are people that I handpick that I don't pay. Um, so they're coming there because they believe in what I'm trying to achieve, which is to source credible education and to connect like minded individuals without a velvet rope and without the need for a VIP paywall. Um, I want everybody to feel like they're on the same level as Love the it. people on that stage. And the conversations that you'll be able to foster and have in that very communal environment, because you're eating together, you're drinking together, you're hanging out together in one spot without having to go anywhere else, you'll meet a lot of people that you would have otherwise not met because you probably go to these things with one or two friends. Mm-hmm. And then you sit at that table. You don't socialize. People. Right. Yeah. So this gives you an opportunity to not only learn, but also connect. And uh, hopefully enough people come to where I don't lose money on it. It's going to be March 11th and 12th of 2024 at the Virgin Hotel in Vegas.
1: And we're gonna make that happen. So if you've listened to this and you're like, everything that was said resonates with me, more than just sharing the episode, of course we appreciate when you guys do that. I love, you have so many awesome clients that are, I consider peers as your client myself, that are sharing my podcast in your Facebook group. Shout out Heather for doing that all the time. She's the best. (laughs) She's just such a great person. But I think that's really amazing. I think that is just a testament to the community that you've built and going back to everything we said at the top of this episode, my own experience in working with you one-on-one aside i just have so much respect for what you do in the industry and for that reason i'm excited to see you continue to pour in true passion into developing an event like that um i was at a conference this weekend and there were three or four women in the room who straight up said and i want you to hear this they would not have met our business coach that we were all at this event with had they not gone to that gone to that summit and them meeting that business coach changed their life in a way that i don't even think you know that you have that impact so i appreciate you for all you're doing and even just beyond the nutrition information just beyond the fitness information in helping other coaches be able to really flourish and share platforms with information that matters, that we know is actually making a difference. And you're doing that, whether you realize it or not, on a day to day basis. So you rock. Thank
0: you. And I, I appreciate
1: it. you. You're Thank welcome. You.
0: Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming to California. Of to, course. All the way to California. Yes,
1: to this. I know. It's, listen, the ability to podcast in person, I think, makes such a big difference. And when I knew I was coming out here, I'm like, let's be productive AF and not get a bunch of recordings. So I'm very happy that I was able to get you on that circuit too and I'm excited for the Fix listeners to hear this one because I talk about you enough on my stories and you've come and talked in my client community too. So this is a cool moment to just kind of continue to add all of that information that we're circulating around. So thank you for being here. We're gonna let you go. But for everybody who tuned in today, we appreciate all of you for listening. Again, share this episode. These messages are important. This is the no bullshit, no noise, no filter kind of stuff that more people need to hear if they actually want to lead healthier lives. So do a friend a favor and share it with somebody And with that, from wherever you guys are listening from, we hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks, Carol.